good morning here. Uh, I'm excited to get to start a new book here, Bible study on, on Mark. And i uh, been doing a lot of reading, so I think this is going to be really fun. And uh, we've learned a lot here from what Mark has to tell us uh, about uh, the coming Messiah who actually came, um, Jesus here. So before I get into it, why don't we open with the invocation in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so just some a couple things. I'll do a little show and tell to start here before we get going here. Just a couple references I want to talk about that I'm going to kind of be relying on in teaching this class. Um, to begin with, I did have um, my second year of seminary last year. Um, Gospels 2 was the name of the class. It was split up between uh, the book of Luke and Mark. Uh, Dr. Arthur just uh, taught uh, the Luke portion, and then we went through Mark, and that was done uh, taught by uh, Dr. Peter Scare. Wonderful class, went through. You know, of course, we couldn't cover um, everything, but uh, got a lot of both Luke and Mark together. Uh, looked at it um, in the Greek, in the original language. Uh, got to do that. We'd get in small groups then as well. Um, in addition to the main lecture class, we'd have these small groups where you get in with, usually with one of the professors. They brought in more professors to do, and then you kind of go, really go in depth to look through the Greek uh, on these books. So I'm going to be teaching this class basically kind of what I learned from Dr. Peter Scare, number one. So sometimes um, when I say stuff, I'll either attribute it to scare or I'm going back through my class notes or what we talked about um, when we were looking through the Greek. So that's kind of the way I'm looking at it. Of course, we couldn't cover everything, but I'm going to cover everything. So on the stuff that we didn't talk about in class, I am going to be also referring to really the main um, source that I'm going to be using is this is a commentary it's uh, Concordia Publishing House. It, this is the Mark Commentary. Now, this is very interesting. This is written by Dr. Uh, James Veltz. Dr. Veltz, a uh, longtime uh, Missouri Synod pastor, and then actually was a professor at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. I never had him personally. I have met him. He now actually lives in Fort Wayne, um, and he's come and given a couple presentations at the seminary, and I've Got to sit through those. So he's the one that wrote the, the main uh, commentary that I'll be focusing on. But just another little side note, i got to tell you, I'm really fundamentally, even, and I know Pastor uh, Rody will know this too, Dr. Veltz also wrote the book that we use when we go to the seminary to learn Greek, and it's called Fundamental Greek Grammar. This is the fourth edition. This is the one I used since Pastor Rody's older than I am, he had the third edition. <laughs> I'm sure. What are you? <laughs> so, anyways, I think his book was probably blue, but this is the fourth. So, this is the book that the all, all men that are coming into the seminary required to take the Greek course. Actually, this is the book that we use. So, he also, in addition 
to writing our Mark commentary, wrote Fundamentals of Greek Grammar. So a uh, pretty well-known author in the Missouri Synod and, and, and uh, really kind of a forerunner in, in Mark. So that's kind of the, uh, what I'm going to rely on mainly in addition to P- Dr. Peter Skier's um, lectures. Um, another kind of supplement I'll use is um, there's a whole uh, commentary uh, written by R.C.H. Linsky. He was born in 1864, died in uh, 1936. German, um, born, but then an American uh, naturalized Lutheran pastor around, um, was involved with the Evangelical Lutheran Joint Synod of Ohio. This is kind of early stuff. And uh, even though it's not LCMS or published by CPH, this, these commentaries uh, we do heavily rely on at the seminary. Uh, when we write papers such as Mark or Luke. So uh, definitely authoritative in, in Lutheran uh, academics, theolo- theological. A um, little bit of caution, not quite, I think, is, as good as um, Belt's, but certainly I do kind of reference it too as well. Then um, third, there's another book that we're assigned in our Gospels reading courses at the seminary. This is called The Writings of the New Testament by Luke Timothy Johnson. This is not a CPH book, and there is some caution that we're given to it. Um, but in terms of some historical backgrounds and stuff, or, um, this is so kind of a relied on this a bit too. So when I do teach this class, this is kind of um, mainly what I'm relying on. Finally, of course, our Lutheran study Bibles. I want to tell you, when, when I you know, read like Veltz and, and, and Linsky, and then I go through this, and then even look at the study notes, it's really pretty amazing how well we've done CPH in, in this Lutheran study Bible. Um, even though it's condensed, obviously, it's, it's right on. So uh, a lot of times when we're reading, uh, if we reference a footnote, um, usually they're really good and based on kind of what other theologians have said. So that being said, that's kind of the basis of what I'm going to present in this class here um, and, and what I'm relying on. So let's just talk a bit about uh, this person, Mark. Of course, the book is called Mark. And in fact, the, early, the earliest Greek manuscripts that we have um, at, at the top in Greek, it says katamarkon, which is in the Greek that means according to Mark. So it, it's very clear in all the early manuscripts at the very top, it say according to Mark. So this is a book written by an individual named Mark, okay? Um, but, um, and it is this individual Mark, I'm going to talk a little bit more about him, but First of all, Mark, as we know, um, he is the author of this second gospel, but he, of course, was not an apostle, okay? So he's not an apostle, but uh, as I'll take you through here in a bit, he was actually a pupil and a a companion of both Peter and Paul, okay? So let's, let's, he was... uh, and uh, because of that, that's what I think gives him, obviously, the authority to write this. And I'll talk a little bit about that here in a minute. So Mark, not an apostle, but he was uh, by born a Jew. And I covered Colossians, uh, the last, our last cycle of Bible study here. And in Colossians 4, uh, 10 through 11, Paul tells us this. Uh, 
It's Aristocartus, my fellow prisoner, greet you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is also, and, and another guy, Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision, circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. So later, uh, Paul down the road, Paul, there is a direct connection that Paul has um, with Mark, um, and in fact, um, uh, here in a bit, I'll show you even a little bit. Uh, more with Paul. But before I get to that, there's some other kind of interesting uh, references to who this Mark was. And particularly, it's regarding his mother. So his mother's name was Mary. She comes up in the book of Acts on a couple occasions. And Mary was um, a woman in Jerusalem. We don't know about her husband or Mark's father. That's never discussed. But Mary is mentioned in Acts, and apparently, uh, from some of the theologians I'm reading, she was a prominent member of this congregation in Jerusalem. And it was uh, she who offered her house, at um, apparently at these uh, first critical meetings of the development of the church, and her church was used actually as a place for devotional meetings. Uh, furthermore, in addition to that, in Acts, if you guys have your Bibles in front of you and want to read along with me, it's Acts uh, chapter 12, verses 12 through 17. And this is uh, right after uh, Peter has been in, imprisoned. You see that then Peter is rescued. It's um, in verse uh, 12. 12, we read, when he, that was Peter, realized this, when he was released, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, okay, where many were gathered together and were praying. So that's the indication that she he had had this devotional place. And actually then Peter comes there right after he's released um, from prison. So there's a connection, obviously the first connection there, uh, Mark and Peter. Um, also, this is interesting. Uh, one commentator, uh, Linsky, notes this, is that Mark's mother's Mary's house was also the house, arguably, okay, this is the house in which Jesus ate the last Passover and instituted the Lord's Supper. So, um, but uh, I did further reading on that from some other commentaries. Some people say um, that actually Mark was then, because it was his mom's house where the Lord's Supper was instituted, that Mark was there. Um, the commentators I'm relying on don't go that far, but you know, there's, there certainly was some connections um, with Mark, Peter, and then, and then with Jesus. Um, in addition to this, um, this house, um, the house was also the place where, where Dr. Linsky says is that the 11 disciples after Jesus died, resurrected, and then ascended to heaven, and then where Pentecost, the day of Pentecost took place, that this house was also Mary's house. And this is Acts 2, 1 through 2. And I'll just kind of remind you of that real quick here. 
Acts 2, 1 through 2. So it's under the coming of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2, 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, the disciples. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. So this, um, some commentators think that this house that they were at was also Mary's house, which was Mark's mother. So just a... Um, just some interesting facts here. So, you know, I guess it's really very probable from kind of this gospel history that, that Mark really did have some kind of acquaintance um, in addition to Peter and Paul with really Jesus himself. And in fact, most commentators, let's look real quick. If you, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Mark 14. Um, verse 51, that's on 1693 of our study Bibles. 1693. I always thought this was an interesting story. Um, so you see this Mark 14, um, verse 51. So we see where we are here. It's... Uh, it's it's here at the right before Jesus is crucified. We've got Jesus foretells Peter's denial, and then Peter does deny, and then Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then we have the betrayal and arrest of Jesus. Remember when Judas came and kissed Jesus, and then right after that, look at this. So we've got Judas and the arrest of Jesus. Uh, then uh, we've got this. the The topic is a young man flees. This just like comes out of left field. It's kind of cool. So Jesus arrested and says, And a young man followed him, meaning Jesus, I guess, when they're with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. Okay? And they, which was the, the people that came to arrest Jesus, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. And that's all we have. But this is the only thing that we have of this in any of the Gospels. It's in Mark. And most commentators, and if you can see on the footnotes in our study Bible, 1451, young man, this detail is unique to Mark. It is thought to be Mark himself. Interesting. Again, in in most of the commentators in our study Bible says, so here is Mark was, again, I'm, I'm telling you this to show uh, that Mark, you know, was there witnessing things, um, and uh, clearly was acquainted with Jesus, and and maybe even heard a lot of his teachings himself. Okay, but I think the more importance in terms of then writing of the book of Mark, as I mentioned in the beginning, uh, Mark was especially close with Simon Peter the apostle, and. Um, we see this when Peter, in First uh, Peter five thirteen. Um, it's on twenty one fifty eight of your study Bible. It's First Peter five thirteen. 
bear with me a minute. These are just kind of cool things I kind of want to read through just to show you. Um, kind of all these connections here. 2158 of your study Bible. So it's at the end here. Peter's writing his um, final greeting you see in, in verse 12. It says, By Silvanius, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm on it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Now, commentators will look at this literally. It's not, he's not saying it's true, true, actual son, but this is Mark, okay, with Peter, okay, in uh, Babylon, who's uh, assisting, Peter, assisting Peter in the work that was being done in the Babylon area. So Peter says, even refers to Mark, my son. That's how close they were, okay? So, and then Dr. Veltz is very strong in looking at this. This is a, look, Mark was really a companion of Peter, was really one of his right hand men. Okay, so that's Peter. And then briefly, just a few other things with Paul here. So we know that Paul was with Barnabas earlier on in Paul's ministry, and his right-hand man was Barnabas. But in Colossians 4.10, as I just read earlier, so Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas' right-hand man, well, Barnabas is then, his cousin is Mark. Okay, and in Colossians 4 uh, Tin tells us that, 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 that Mark and, and Barnabas were related. Um, so, in addition to that, though, um, if we look at Acts 13.5, that's on page 1860. So it's Acts 13.5. <clears throat> Actually, we'll start at four. So we see the the footnote here. It says Barnabas, uh, at the beginning of chapter 13, Barnabas and Saul sent off, right, going on a missionary journey. And then uh, Barnabas and Saul on Cyprus. So verse 13, or chapter 13, verse four. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they were arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. Now we know that John's other, uh, Mark's also other name is, it's John Mark. So most commentators believe that this also is John Mark, who is Mark, uh, the author of Mark who we're talking about. Okay, So then Mark was with his cousin Barnabas and with Paul here on this um, on these uh, journeys, and then um, we see if you'll go right over to uh, chapter thirteen, verse thirteen, verse thirteen. So now they're in Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch. We know Mark is there with them, and it says right here. Now Paul and his companions set sail from. Uh, Paphos and came to Pergia and Pamphylia, and John, this is John Mark, left them and returned to Jerusalem. So then now Mark was with them. Mark leaves, but then it gets better than that. Um, 
So we don't really know why, but I think uh, this actually caused Paul to be upset that Mark left. So if you'll turn here to uh, Acts 15 to continue this story here with Mark and Barnabas. So remember I just said that Mark was with them, then Mark decides to leave them and go. So now we've got a little bit of movement here. Now Paul and Barnabas, we see in Acts 15, verse 36, it says, Paul and Barnabas separate. Listen to this, it's kind of crazy. And After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in the city where we will proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. It's okay, same guy. Now it's affirming that this is John Mark. But, look at this. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Okay, so uh, Paul may be a little upset that Mark left. And there arose, what? A sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. So Paul now and Barnabas, uh, because of Mark, separate. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Okay, so now Mark's at the, at the center of this dispute between Paul and Barnabas. But the good news is, is at some point thereafter, we don't know why or how, but Paul must have forgiven Mark and was in Rome. Um, um, as, so Paul forgives Mark. And then we see then, and uh, if you'll turn to Colossians 4, oh, I already talked about Colossians 4.10, that then Mark somehow ends up back in Rome Why? Paul is incarcerated or in prison and then is there with with um, Paul. And in fact, if you'll turn to um, Philemon, uh, chapter, chapter 23 and 24, it's 2097 in your study Bible. So this is... Uh, by leaving uh, 23 and 24. So you see here, Paul writes, Ephraphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, and Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Okay? So Mark then, after this, uh, this dispute with Barnabas, somehow now is back even with Paul. And then we see here that in addition to, somehow, Mark is then also here with Luke. And this is the same Luke that wrote Luke. Okay, So again, what I'm just trying to do is show the connections with this John Mark, who he was and who he's connected to. So we've got biblical proof that, uh, that Mark, John Mark, the author of Mark, was clearly connected to Peter, uh, to Paul, his mother, um, you know, even even with Jesus and with Luke, and there's even one more um, that. Um, 
which some, uh, Linsky argues is that in addition to that, that Mark would also been connected with Matthew, who's the author of the book of Matthew, as at this time when Matthew would have been involved with the early disciples, meeting in Mary's house especially was there um, on the institution of the Lord's Supper, which Mark. So um, some think that there is also a connection clearly with Mark and Matthew. Okay, so this is kind of who this Mark person is. Not an apostle, but clearly um, was with um, uh, the apostles. Um, just a couple interesting other facts I found, I thought. So from fairly reliable tradition, it appears that uh, Mark, afterwards, he founded uh, the church at Alexandria in Egypt. Um, after he wrote this, uh, was a missionary in the Egypt area where he was supposed to have died as a martyr. And then in 1827 A.D., his relics, his bones, I guess, were moved from there to where? Trivia question? Yes, that's right. Venice, Italy, right? And was brought to now it's St. Mark's Catholic Church at the middle of St. Mark's Square. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. Uh, fortunately, well, my family, we got to see it. Uh, very cool area, this huge Mark Square. And apparently his bones are in there today, and it's a pretty big touristy attraction. So if you're ever going to Venice, make sure you stop by and say hello to Mark. <laughs> okay. But you won't get any like extra credit for doing it, you know what I mean? There's no, uh, there's no, <laughs> you don't get any extra. So. Okay, so then, again, so this is who this Mark, John Mark is, who wrote the book. So then how did Mark get this information to write? This is the next question I have. So a lot of this, and it actually the early church fathers write on this before even our commentators, so Eusebius is an early church father. He writes that Mark actually was an interpreter of Peter, okay? Meaning that he was around Peter and listening to Peter's preaching. And then, then he took that, maybe with some of his independent knowledge, and wrote the book of Mark, okay? Another church father, Irenaeus, in the late 2nd century A.D., so remember, this is really close, okay, is writing that Mark, the disciple, and the interpreter, Mark, excuse me, Mark, and uh, the disciple Peter, excuse me, not Mark, the disciple, but Mark, that they went hand in hand, and that Mark um, handed down to us in writing the things that used to be proclaimed by Peter, okay? <clears throat> also, Arrhenius write, it is an authentic information concerning gospel history, which Mark wrote down accurately from what Peter said. He also, you know, Arrhenius, and again, these are my words, but he was the literary editor and publisher of the oral gospel, which he had er heard so often from Peter, okay? Uh, then uh, Dr. Veltz takes the same position as one progresses through the century of the patristic fathers, the early church fathers, and their interpretation. The church fathers portray Peter as intimately involved with Mark, and Dr. Veltz even says, based on his review, maybe even helped Mark compose the Gospel of Mark. Okay, so this real connection with Peter. Uh, Origen in the third, third century A.D. wrote, 
quote, Peter had shown, directed Mark on what he was to do in writing this. Okay, so I think most people think, and even the early church fathers, that Mark wrote this based on basically what Peter had experienced, Peter preached. So, um, the gospel, Dr. Veltz concludes, the gospel's Mark is dependent upon the oral presentations of Peter during his ministry, but then adds this, and perhaps also upon the preaching of Paul. Because as we just saw, I took you through that, we know that John Mark had a connection to Paul. So that's where he uh, is gathering the information. And again, he maybe even knew Jesus because of his mother. So this is who this individual uh, Mark is and where he's getting the information to write this. So I think it's based on that and his connection, you know, he's got the, he's, this is authoritative. Uh, eyewitness of, of, of first-hand accounts of what Jesus, so obviously what he's writing, uh, we believe. Uh, to whom was this gospel written to? Um, some church fathers say it was written to the Christians in Rome in, con- in connection with Peter's ministry in that city. Uh, but there's some kind of disagreement on it. Other church fathers says, look, this is not necessarily written to the people in Rome. It's written more generally to, uh, as a gospel, as more universally directed and not limited to specific believers. So, um, And that's probably right. Okay. Any questions up to this point? I know I'll kind of move on. Yes? I have a question. Um, I heard a theory from my... Uh, Adopted grandfather was a retired minister, uh, and he, his theory was that after the uh, event on Cyprus, where uh, someone was blinded, I guess some serious thing happened. And he, his theory is that Mark was uh, alarmed by it, and then left and went back to Jerusalem. And according to my grandfather, he thinks that that's when he started writing out the gospel. But have you heard anybody? Uh, uh, yeah probably written before mark would have been written before the acts but i'm going to get in it and i'll, I'll just address it now okay. so uh, mark was written probably in the later part of the 60s okay ad 60 But this is very important, and I'm going to come back to it in a minute for you guys to think about. Mark was written, it's the position of most good theologians, the LCMS Church, Fort Wayne Seminary, and I'll tell you why in a minute, that Mark was written after Matthew and Luke. Okay, So Matthew was written sometime around A.D. 50, Luke sometime around A.D. 55 to 60, and then Mark written about 60. Okay, so close together in time. But remember that because I'm going to come back to that. It's important that, uh, that Matthew and Luke come before Mark. And I'll tell you in a minute why. Okay? Um, it, re- regarding uh, the Acts, let's look here real quick. Um, I would think that he wrote it. Who's Acts written real quick? I'm going to answer that question if I can. Let's see what our study Bible says when, when Acts is there. But I just have to think that that 
yeah. But, you know, even if the events happened, you know, depending on when they're written, it's kind of hard to tell, you know. But I don't know, but that's really interesting to know. I, didn't, I never heard that before. And I didn't come across that in any of these writings, but um, that's very interesting. Any other questions on that? Okay. So I'll come back to the writing part about it when this is written, but just a few other stuff. I know I'm kind of giving a lot of information, but I, this is some of the stuff that I didn't know either, and it's really cool stuff. So, of course, then Mark is one of what's called the synoptic gospels, right? Um, because they include many of the same stories and similar sequence and or almost identical wording. It's, so it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic gospel. And pastors told you this before, but I reemphasize it. Synoptic comes from the Greek word synoptikos, which is translated in a number of different ways. Seeing all together or, quote, common view. Okay, that's what that means. So then Matthew, Mark, and Luke provide a common view or a synoptic of Jesus' life and teaching. Okay? So that's why these are the... Now, there's not... Uh, they don't follow exactly, right? But we see a lot of similarities, a lot of the same stories. Um, but Mark is a little different. Mark is the shortest. It's brief. And um, it's got some things mix, mix, missing in it. And let me address that briefly. So, and this is... Uh, I learned this from Dr. Peter Scare in my class... Just a few things. Mark, actually, in the gospel, no one really talked much about Mark in the early church. We have some writings on it, which I read to you about some of our church fathers talking about where Mark got the information. But there's not a lot of writing on it. So really, um, and the reason why, um, Dr. Skier says, is everything you can find in Mark, you can find in Matthew. And there's only a few things in Mark that are not in Matthew. So, according to Dr. Scare, Mark really didn't have a lot of focus. It was really Matthew that was it. And and in fact, no real biblical commentaries even came out on Mark until the 6th century, and not another one until the 9th century. Um, But very interesting, there was a big revival on Mark in the 19th century, in the 1800s, where then Mark became this really important book. And when, it, when Dr. Skier said, that, oh, that, that's great, that's great. But unfortunately, it's for bad reasons. <laughs> okay, And the reason of this, in around 1837, you guys have probably heard this, this concept of the quest for the historical Jesus arose. And it came, it came out of this book written by D.F. Strauss, It's called The Life of Jesus, which really this has inspired the nearly endless debate uh, among liberal scholars about who Jesus is and whether he really can be known through the Gospels. And what this really created, uh, this quest for the historical Jesus, was this liberal theological look at the Gospels, and all they wanted to do was discredit everything that, that the Gospels, really the theme became that these Gospels, these synoptic Gospels, are nothing more than 
mythological documents that none of the miracles, the, even from the virgin birth to the resurrection and everything on that, that none of that could have been really proved historically. So it's historical criticism. And really that brought about uh, this real emphasis on Mark. And it was because of this is, uh, is that because Mark, as we, when we'll see when we go through it at the beginning, Mark doesn't talk about the virgin birth. Okay? So then what these people, these quests for the historical Jesus, these liberal theologians, what they wanted to do then is try to put Mark as the main gospel written before Matthew and Luke because what they're trying to argue is is that Mark even though he's got a lot of this miracle stuff in it, which that's mythological, we're not buying all of Mark, we have to take Mark more seriously because Mark doesn't really mention the virgin birth. And in fact, Mark doesn't res- mention the resurrection. Now, I'll talk about that in a minute. It is in the back, but there's some dispute on the ending of Mark. So then these historical critical people say, we're going to use Mark now because it doesn't mention, like I said, the virgin birth or the resurrection. So Mark is really more believable than Matthew and Luke. And what Matthew and Luke then did was take Mark, who was more (laughs) accurate on this historical Jesus, and then they embellished what Mark said. Matthew added the virgin birth. They added more of the resurrection. So it's very interesting. Then in this 1800s, the early 19th century, Mark became this real big, great book because these liberal theologians then wanted to show that Mark was used by these other two to come up with these fictional accounts of who this Jesus was. And really, we don't believe any of it. So isn't that interesting? So... um, I just want to make it clear for purposes of this class in our synod and our both of our seminaries are, are adamant that uh, Matthew and Luke were written before Mark, and that Mark, Mark's really his uh, reflected on Peter's preaching. Okay, so yes. Probably. Is that? I would think so, yeah. I, I didn't read on that, but I would, I would think so, yeah. yeah. Mark was the, probably. Because according to the, his own book, he says, a young man. You, you pointed that right, out. Right, right, right. So you're, you're talking, he is a young man, maybe a teenager. At that time, So, right. And that's why I'm thinking, you know, his perspective is going to be a little different. He's very young, immature, and that's why some of the probably why he left um, is the other reason. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of things you can read into it because all the accounts, um, Matthew and Mark, I, I mean, and John, I mean, they all talked about themselves in the book. So yeah. he's talking about himself, you could say, in the book. Good point, yeah. And actually, other people say, well, the reason Mark didn't. The reason why it makes sense that Matthew and Luke came first is that Mark actually knew it and didn't want to recover some of those things. And that's why he was focusing kind of on some of the stuff that Peter was talking about. So that's why he didn't include some things in because he said because uh, Matthew and Luke had already written about it. So and I think that makes more sense. Right. Really. 
and that he was writing on kind of what Peter was preaching. Now, that doesn't mean to see that Peter never preached about the um, virgin birth, but this is stuff, you know, that Mark decided he was going to write about. So, in any event, important, though, on that kind of, that, that there's, this has kind of been, they're pitting these, these liberal scholars are trying to pit these books against each other. And then, and then, then now Mark now is supposedly the, 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 the gospel that everybody, the liberal theologians, even to this day, really want to rely on. But again, it's for the wrong reasons, okay? Any further question on that? Pretty interesting, huh? Um, okay, let's just move briefly in here. I passed the outline now. It's kind of interesting. I, Dr. Veltz, I used Dr. Veltz's, and then I found another outline. I'm not relying on his work as much, Wiki. Um, he actually, there's a book on, on uh, a study of Mark that's published by CPH. I'm not saying it's bad. It's, I'm just saying that I haven't relied on it. But So we see these two different kind of outlines of the Gospel of Mark. And I thought it was interesting that Veltz decided that he was going to do two outlines. He wanted to do a geographical outline showing kind of where Jesus was and where he went, okay, so there's Jesus' Galilean ministry, and then Jesus moves from Gal- outside of that, he moves outside of Galilee, and then Jesus goes to Judea and Jerusalem, and then ultimately Jerusalem. So there is a, a geographical outline to this, I thought is interesting, but he also then gives us, as you see here, this narrative outline, which then kind of groups on basically what you know, what's, what's Mark really focusing on? You see, uh, first, one, one through eight, the preparation, the ministry of John the Baptist, and then one, nine, through then chapter seven. This is a big chunk, obviously. Jesus begins his ministry and meets with initial success, but, as we know, a growing lack of understanding. The third um, portion, then, is the critical turn. Okay, we know what that is, then critical term and summary of the early plot. This is when, you know, this is where Jesus is now going to be heading actually to Jerusalem for the cross. And then within that, it's the revelation of who the Christ is, his destiny and faith, and what that means for his followers. And then ends up on this narrative, chapters 11 through 16, the fate of the real revealed Christ played out. Okay, and then similar down, we see the gospel about Jesus Christ, Son of God. Uh, Wiki here breaks it out a little differently. Um, I'm really not going to go. You know, I, I'm, we're just going to kind of go through it and get done what we can get done. I may break it up in some sections, but uh, we'll try to get through it um, without necessarily sticking to an actual outline because, like, there's no way I could cover. <laughs> It would take weeks to, to cover some of these. So in any event, just that for your, for your notes. If you have any questions on it, let me know. That's kind of the, the outlines I've, I've seen on Mark here. Okay. Any questions up to this point? I apologize. My introduction has taken uh, 45 minutes. <laughs> but I guess this is a, a significant book here and some of the stuff. Any, any questions about... Or does anybody have any else that they, they know about that want to add about any introductions stuff here? Um, one more thing before we get we get going. I thought this was pretty good, actually. Um, if you'll turn, if you have your study Bible with you, to page 1652. 
This is, um, let me get to my notes here. This is uh, Martin Franzman. You see kind of down in the middle here. If you don't have it, I'll read it. But uh, the beginning of in our Lutheran study Bibles, there's always kind of an introduction on what's going on. And I thought this was really good. I kind of read Veltzen's stuff, and they do a good job, too, of kind of just characterizing what Mark is about. And I think this is actually one of the best ones included here. Martin Franzman, uh, born 1907, died in 1976, a Lutheran pastor, Lutheran theologian, actually ended up teaching um, at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, so obviously a legitimate theologian here. Has written some other stuff that's used... Uh, um, as kind of authoritative stuff, but he he writes this. Um, so if you want to follow along with me again on page 1652, about halfway through, uh, we see here Martin Franzman, Franzman characterizes Mark's account as follow, follows. The gospel according to Mark is a gospel of action as compared with Matthew Mark emphasizes the deeds of Jesus. The deeds of Jesus are by no means isolated from his words. The word is Jesus' instrument in his deeds too. He speaks and it is done. And Mark, besides giving two longer discourses of Jesus, repeatedly emphasizes the centrality of the word in the ministry of Jesus and the effect of its authority on men. But it is chiefly by his works that Jesus is marked as the proclaimer and the bringer of the almighty grace of the kingdom of God, as the anointed king in whom man can trust, the son of God in whom man can believe. So pretty cool, huh? So that's kind of Franzman's take on Mark here. Uh, Luther has some other uh, longer readings here, but I thought uh, Franzman uh, did a good job kind of on the purpose of Mark's gospel. All right, so I think if you guys are okay, we've got about 10 more minutes. If there's not any questions, if I haven't exhausted you enough with background on Mark, Chris, do you have a question? Yes, it seems I can understand why a lot of people think this is Peter's account, because if you look at First and Second Peter, they're very short and concise, and this is the same way. So mm-hmm. um, remember, because if we when we're studying Paul, he had people writing for him. Right. So, so I'm assuming that is what Mark is doing. He's being dictated to a lot, and that would verify more of it. That's the way I would think of it, and that's the way the book kind of presents itself. More so, I think that no, your higher criticism people. I always look at as people that are upset that Martin Luther led the Reformation, and uh, that's it. <laughs> I think that's a good point. Yeah, we know. Well, we definitely know that Mark and Peter connected. It's like I said, some of the early church fathers said that that Peter was was there and, and instrumental in, with Mark writing it. So. You know, there's certainly good historical evidence for that coming from church fathers early on. So, yeah, it's a good point, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, because even when Peter does make a comment on Paul's writing in 2 Peter, he makes the comment, I don't understand everything he's writing, but I know it's gospel. (laughs) So um, that's why I'm thinking, hey, Mark is 
a condensed, like he said here, this man says it's a book of action, the gospel. Yeah, yeah. good point. I like that. Good, good. All right. Any other thoughts there? Okay, well, why don't we just go ahead and jump in. I think I can get through a little bit of this just at the beginning here, and then we'll wrap it up and then look forward to continuing on with actually getting into now uh, what uh, the Holy Spirit is telling us through Mark and his writing here. So if you guys want to turn to Mark 1.1. And as I mentioned, as opposed to the other uh, Gospels, you know, Matthew, we have these long... um, uh, accounts of uh, the different generations and then the birth foretold. Luke kind of does some similar genealogies and stuff. I think this is interesting. Mark, what does he do? He just jumps right into this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's pretty, I mean, no wasting time, right? Just right here at the beginning. So let me read through one through eight and then we'll kind of go through it a bit and, and then uh, probably have to, I'm not sure I can finish that today, but then we'll finish up this first part next week and then get into the, the, the great story of the baptism of Jesus. So, okay, John the Baptist prepares the way. That's what this section is titled, the beginning. So 1-1, one, one, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so let's just talk briefly about this. This is preparing the way for John the Baptist. And as I said at the beginning, right off the bat, it says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I mean, what a way to start. This is the superscription of the gospel. I mean, this is the cover page, right? Mark's gospel, this is what he's titling it, his cover page. This is uh, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He gets right in it. And this is characteristic of Mark's nature, um, which is kind of his self and his writing, as Dr. Veltz talks about, um, that you know he loses no time in preliminary discussions and long introductions. Um, he has a message, and that one great this this one great message um, for all men at all times, and it's this: it's it's the gospel. It's then that's what he says: the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the gospel is the good news of salvation of all men. And of course, the gospel is centered on Jesus, okay? Christ, who is the beginning, middle, and the end. Jesus, the Redeemer, the Savior, and Christ, the Anointed One of God, our great prophet, priest, and king. So this is what this, is, this book is about. Both his divine human person and his miraculous 
uh, birth are placed before our eyes right, just right here. And this is the message of the gospel, the good news. And uh, that's Mark's emphasis. So another thing that's interesting with this is when you read this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, when you look at it in the Greek, you can actually can trade it, translate it as this. The beginning of the preaching of the good news about Jesus Christ. And Dr. Veltz relates this when you look at it that way. This kind of relates well to what we talked about uh, Mark and, 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 and our early church fathers who said that it was Peter's preaching that stand behind uh, Mark's gospel, if you look at the beginning of the preaching of the good news. And that's what then uh, Mark is focusing on here. Of course, right here off the bat, too, what, is, what does John say? Jesus Christ, quote, comma, the Son of God, right off the bat. It announces it right at the beginning that Jesus is the Son of God. And this is the beginning of his entire, the narrative of this book, obviously. And this then, is we're going to see, comports well with Mark's treatment of, as, he, as we go on in the book, you're going to see about this ambiguity that kind of people don't know about Jesus, about who he is. And, but Mark, right off the bat, is talking about that this is the Son of God. And... Uh, um, Son of God here means what it means really throughout all of Scripture that we hear about. This is nothing different. That the Son of God is the eternal, co-equal, essential Son, the second person of the Godhead, but who is also God Himself in the flesh. And that's what the, that's what this reference is, and that's consistent with what we we know from the other Gospels and the other. Uh, books of the New Testament. Okay, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's actually the good news that they need to hear. And as we'll see as we go down, that these sinners do need a Savior. And that's mentioned right here at the beginning. Um, okay, so that's the beginning. But then it goes, then we're going to introduce here in verses 2 through 3 is this, this preparing the way for John the Baptist. So we see here this quote from Isaiah. It's actually Isaiah uh, chapter 40, uh, verse 3. It's almost word for word. I went back and looked at it. It's really cool. Uh, but, but really, some of the commentators say, so this is the introduction of John the Baptist on Isaiah 43. But um, what's pointed out is actually there was another prophecy about John the Baptist. It's in uh, Malachi Chapter 3, verses 1, and it says this, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So here, um, uh, commentators say that this is also a reference to John the Baptist. Um, but then in addition to, to Malachi, we've got the better verse here, which is Isaiah 43, which actually the, the says, um, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepares the way of the Lord, makes straight in the desert a highway for our God. So this is all referencing to, to John the Baptist. The interesting thing, though, then, is this, this language here in verse 3. You see that the one... The voice of one crying in the wilderness. It's interesting that uh, this, this, this term wilderness isn't brought up here. And why is that? That this is kind of a distinctive feature. Um, 
So that John then is in the wilderness. John's not heard in the midst of the capital of where he is or in the halls of of all the learned people. But no, he's out in the wilderness, far from the abodes of men. So the question is, is why? Why in the wilderness? Why in the desert? Why isn't he in the middle of the town square? Well, tracing this back kind of in, in Old Testament times, the, the wilderness, the desert, this is the place where God's people were formed after the exodus from Egypt, right? And this is account, recounted to us in Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So it was this staging area, the desert, remember, which was where the, the people were going to enter into the promised land. So look at the connection then. Here, John the Baptist out in the wilderness, as the people of Israel were before they went into the promised land. So now John, um, with John the Baptist, the desert is a place where this preparation begins for the formation of a new people who will be partakers of the new creation, which is manifested by Jesus, right? Which Jesus is about to bring. So he's ushering his people. So see the similarities about John being in the wilderness and the people of Israel um, being in the wilderness. Let me cover one more thing and then I'll let you go. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. We see that in 3, 3b there. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. You know, this is simple but really impressive because... These words here are significant, um, Christologically speaking, looking at, at Christ. Prepare the way of the Lord. I've talked about Lord before and what that means. Here it's Lord. Kurios in the Greek, it refers, the Lord here is what the rest of the New Testament refers to as Jesus, right? Jesus, who will do what Isaiah predicted that Yahweh himself would do. This verbiage suggests or demands that Jesus be seen as the personification of the God of Israel. Jesus is fully Lord, and that's what why this is here and there. Prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of Jesus, who is Lord. This is the sum of John's preaching, of his work in preparation for Christ's coming, that John's preparing the way of the Lord, the new Yahweh, the Yahweh, Jesus. Okay. So I think that's all we have time for today, unless there's any follow-up questions. Didn't get as far as I wanted, but we did get a good introduction to the book of Mark. So, all righty. The Lord be with you. He's with you.